speaking of those engaging with the show, I've got some text messages here. I get some and, friends. And um, like always, um, I always just get myself in hot water by saying things. And I'm I like, you know, like, I, I don't really mind. I, I'm, I'm allowed to have an opinion and I'm allowed to, to think and say things. And I, I want to I read text message you got here. So um, this is in relation to what I said about the, you know, COVID protests. Uh, we had them last weekend. We had some of them this weekend. And I talked specifically about the reason that we kind of denounce the protest is not because of the essence of the protest or, or whatever it may be, but it's because of the behavior of those protesting. Like that is the A1 number one problem. We all stand for freedom and liberty. We all stand for um, giving, you know, uh, like having the opportunity, particularly because we're in the a democracy, having the opportunity to um, have a voice and to stand for what's right. And we know that, especially as Christians, like, you know, um, issues of religious liberty and just liberty in general will be an, will become an increasing issue. It's already an issue and will become an increasing issue as we get closer and closer to the end of time. I believe that's something that you guys have been talking about on the N.Digital. Oh, we, we have. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you know, you sure is doing amazing work there on the N.Digital. I can't get too much into promoting it because it's not today. So we don't want to no, hire people. True. We just want to slightly, you know, gently build people up to Wednesday, which will be the next day it's on. Mm-hmm. 8 p.m. Wednesday night. Oh, there you Tune go. Tune in here. Faith FM. Amen. Okay, but here we go. Um, this is a text message I received. Right. Do you believe anything you read or see on the media? Ooh, big allegations. Also, the guy who um, was, who hit the horse, when you see the whole clip, was simply avoiding being pushed by the horse. I actually saw that clip. Yeah? Yeah. And do you agree? I agree with that person. Mm. Okay. Continuing on, the hand was to protect himself. When thousands of people march for a just cause, just because some may misbehave, does that negative, uh, does that, um, does that negate the validity of the reason for the march? Uh, you do know that the powers that be always send paid saboteurs to cause problems so the media can use it to negate the real reason for the original march. Hmm. It's called mirroring because um, uh, something to make people look the other way. Let's look at the biggest, bigger picture. You know, wow, what a text. Ooh, what a text <laughs> message. Uh, you know, well and, well and truly called out, put it in the hot seat. You know, fair enough. Like, I, I understand what these this person is saying. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, when we talk about saboteurs coming to protest and the power be like, you know, causing that. And uh, like, I think that people can realize, and I, at the same time, do see the bigger pe- picture. I'm not against protesting. In fact, I'm not even against these protests. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, uh, people fully have the right. And I even agree with them. Like in, in a sense, you know, in, in terms of standing up for liberty, you know, I, I don't necessarily know how, if I'm fully in agreement of directly what they're standing for. Um, for me, I, I'm like, and I'm not trying to appease anyone. I'm just give, sharing my honest opinion. I'm like, oh, but the, you know, there is a public health order and, and like we're seeing day on day in New South Wales record, record numbers of COVID cases. Now people have different opinions on whether lockdowns work, whether masks work, whatever it may be. But the point is, is like, because it says just because some misbehave, does that negate the validity of, of the reason to march? And the answer is no. Um, but like, d- like, does it, if those marching for the cause are doing so in the incorrect way, well, then it's like, 
what's the what's the point of marching? Like shoot yourself in the foot. A exactly. Bit. Like if if anything, those people are giving the the movement a bad name to those who wanna who who want to stand for it. And I'm, I'm just like, particularly the, sh- the story that I sh- shared this morning. This is not a story of someone, you know, some kind of protest scuffle or even anything. This is just some guys having an illegal party in their home mm. and, you know, us, like fighting police officers and resisting arrest when they're like, and they were under the influence of drugs and alcohol and they resisted arrest. Like this is so clearly not a case of, oh, benefit of the doubt, da-da-da. Like, I understand in spite of those people that the cause is still just of the the protests, but I'm like, but if these are the people who are trying to make a case that they should be allowed to, you know, violate public health orders so they can get drunk, like, I'm like, no, no. Yeah. Like, like, okay, that, that's that's how I feel. Look, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. You can call or text us. Tell us what you think about it. But, but really, and I, and it especially comes back to you know what I believe as a Christian and my my faith in in, in morality. And, and I, I've heard some really powerful sermons about this recently, um, mm-hmm. particularly at my church. It's been something we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks: is freedom and liberty, and as Christians, how we respond to that. And in every case, in every example that we are given um both biblically and historically on successful christian protest the huge emphasis and point and underscore and exclamation mark is put on the fact that we are to stand up morally Mm. not to not retaliate to not um lower ourselves down to their behavior like this is what we should stand against and when we see people doing this even for just causes even for christian causes like mask wearing isn't even necessarily a religious freedom cause but if someone was doing the same thing for a religious freedom cause mm-hmm. i would have the same criticism preach i would because even though i agree with them yeah i i am scared of losing my religious freedom like i am genuinely fearful of that but if you're going to respond to that with violence, no, man. Like, you don't, represent, you don't represent me. So, yeah, that, that's, that's my thoughts. That's my thoughts there. Oh, wait, also had another text message coming in. It says, Vegger cars for the win. Oh, is James, is James the answer to the quiz? Now, James <laughs> is not the answer to the quiz today. It was the answer of the quiz on Friday. And Vedra Cars was a, uh, a a story I talked about on Friday. And I just want to use this as a, a brief period to promote that uh, there might be some of you listening on the delayed broadcast. Stop. <laughs> Get the Faith FM app. Listen live, please. Like, this is the A1 way to listen to Faith you FM. Can you get can get prizes. You can get prizes, interact with the show, um, send us text messages. Also, when you're on the app, you know, you plug it into your phone or your headphones or whatever it may be. You never, you know, as long as you have a cellular sing- signal, which is, you know, pretty like for us living in Newcastle, at least in, in the city, like where we have all the time, um, you will never, your radio will never go fuzzy. Um, you'll be right on it. So yeah, interesting stuff coming through on the text line. Some interesting thoughts again. Um, yeah, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, let's get into our Bible study. We've used a considerable amount of time. <laughs> I love it. I'm, hey, you needed to vent. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> I need, I need give, give me some time. It's Monday. <laughs> it, it is. Okay. All right. So we are in our Bible study. This quarter is on the 
the topic of rest. And this specific week is called Finding Rest in Family Ties. So relevant. So, so we can relevant. all relate to the subject. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even furthermore, like I scroll down and the kind of topic we're going to be honing on on today, the, the subtitle of it is, is Dysfunction at Home. Mm. And now I, as many people can relate to this, you know, I, um, yeah, for, for myself, I'm a, I'm a Christian today. I'm a, I'm a Seventh day Adventist. I work here on radio. I work for the church. You know, God has well, uh, tr- well and truly and thoroughly blessed my life. But, um, unfortunately, you know, uh, I can't say the same for the rest of my family. I don't come from a Christian family. Um, I grew up in a very secular background. Um, and particularly towards my, you know, the mid to late teen years, um, had a lot of dysfunction in my home, mm. you know, parents splitting up, going through bankruptcy, uh, different problems. You know, I have three sisters, just relational problems going on there. And then even just the problems and dysfunction that I had in my own life. Um, dude, dysfunction at home is something that rings true so much for me. Yep. I, I'm really, I'm really thankful that God has worked in my family in a sense that they're doing a lot better nowadays, you know, for compared sure. to five years ago. And I, you know, I pray for them and, and I've seen God really, really grow, um, yeah, the relationships in my family, but this idea of dysfunction among the family is you know so what? relatable. Every family has a level of dysfunction in them. Like my family story is a little bit much different to yours. <laughs> I grew up in a Christian home. Mm. Uh, my mom was very much the one who was um, keeping us going to church. My dad, shortly after he married my mom, stopped going to church mm. and she prayed for him for 25 years. Wow. And now he gave his heart back to the Lord and he's a different person. But there's a lot of dysfunction that was there, you know, and, mm. um, but God can work with dysfunctional families. And mm. that's the encouraging thing, I think, for us as we study God's word this week. hundred percent. I think the, like the pinnacle of the dysfunction of family, we talked about David last week, who was in a incredibly dysfunctional Highly family. Dysfunctional. And m- much of that dysfunction was caused by himself. It wasn't last week. I believe it was two weeks ago, yeah. but today we're going to be honing in on Joseph. Uh, well, this week we're going to be honing in on Joseph, but I feel as some 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 pretext to Joseph's situation because he was in and amongst a very dysfunctional family. We're going to be looking at the dysfunctional family that preceded him. You know, mm. his the generations before him, and just see the way in which man he didn't really set them up for for good things. Um, I believe like. You know, we can start by just reviewing the life of some of the, what we call the patriarchs here, uh, you know, the likes of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. And I think, like, yeah. you know, the first place, like, where my mind goes when I think of Abraham and, you know, dysfunction um, is when we see Abraham in Egypt. That's, like, A1 right there. So let's let's have a quick read. I believe it's uh, Genesis chapter 12. Um, in Genesis chapter 12, um, and let's read verse 10 to 12. Yep, if you get that for us, Teresa. All right, Genesis 12, 10 to 12. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen, when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, uh, then verse 12. 
Yeah. Uh, verse, sorry, verse 13. Police say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. Okay, so something to know about Abraham, like he's listed in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith hall of fame as this incredibly faithful dude. Up until this point, he's been called out of his country by God, right? Mm-hmm. God's like, hey, come out, follow me, you know, go into a land in which you do not know. And he does so. Mm-hmm. The but father then, of the faithful. The father of the faithful. But this story here starts a seed in plants a seed in Abraham's life of essentially trying to overcome his problems um through shifty and non you know uh non god based means essentially rather than trusting in god to overcome his problems um he tries to come up with methods and now this really comes to a pinnacle in his life, we see here this situation where he rocks up and he's like, oh, you know, I'll call you my wife. I'll, I'll say that to everyone that you're my sister instead of my wife. And then Pharaoh goes and takes, tries to take Sarah as his own wife because he thinks it's his sister. And God comes. Very messy situation. Um, but then the pinnacle of that is then when, once we get to uh, Genesis 16, uh, if you could read um, that for us. Let's just yes. start, you know, last, uh, first <laughs> First couple of verses, maybe verse 1 to 3. Sure. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. Yikes. So this is, again, another, you know... um, Not Not a shining moment. Not a shining moment. Uh, You know, kind of... Well, it shows that Abraham and Sarah, these are real people making real mistakes. Um, And that's like a very, like, straightforward, logical conclusion that they come to, particularly, you know, before the era of artificial insemination and, you know, all of that kind of things that we uh, Mm. take for granted nowadays. They're like, okay... Abraham, you've been promised by God to become a nation, yet we can't have kids. Um, so go into my maid and, you know, lay with her, know her, have sexual relations with her and see what happens there. Of course, she then falls pregnant. Um, and this causes incredible dysfunction in their house. Mm. Um, you know, like they kick Hagar out and, and, and an angel of the Lord has to, the Lord has to come and minister to Hagar to help her. Um, and, well, from that pregnancy, a whole new people group is born, uh, which we would know today as, well, not only a people group, also a religion similar to, to Judaism. Um, uh, they're known as Islamic people, mm-hmm. um, through, through the line of Ishmael. Um, and it's like, man, like super heavy stuff here, uh, that we see as a result of this. Like this is a complete moral failure. I think Absolutely. this is just like lack of faith, lack of faith like on so many in so many areas. I think what's so interesting is that after this, the, the son of promise eventually comes. His name is Isaac. Uh, and, and Abraham definitely goes through some faith testing with him. Um, but yeah, we just see many points in, in Abraham's life where he is not quite living up to the man of faith that he has been called to, to be. And what that causes as a, as a family man is a lot of family dysfunction yeah it's heavy it's really heavy and it's also 
a real encouragement to me too that God didn't throw away that family just because Oof. it was dysfunctional. Like he works mm. with the dysfunction in our families and uh, that's an amazing thing. Mm. Now, then after Abraham, he gives birth to a son. His son's name is Isaac. Isaac grows up. He he waits till he he listens to his dad. Waits till he's forty. Finds a wife in Rebecca. Is kind of living. You know, he's got a relatively spotless record. Until, Pretty amazing love story. Though. Yeah, really beautiful there. Well, you know, water my camels. <laughs> all these kinds of things. Beautiful rom com playing out within the Bible. Um, but then it's actually kind of towards the end of his life where we kind of see some of Isaac's true colors. Um, when basically you get to the story of when the birthright is uh is is transferred over um to Esau and we kind of get to this in Genesis chapter 27 um so let's have a look at that Genesis chapter 27 starting let's read verse maybe 1 2 and 3 Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his oldest son, and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. I'll read the next verse too. And make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Mm, so this is this is... Pretty, pretty straightforward. It's interesting at this point, you know, whilst Isaac is on his deathbed, um, that he still hasn't given the blessing to his sons yet. He's, he's kind of put that off. And of course, this is for the birthright, for the nation going forward. Um, that, you know, who would, who would take that responsibility? He still hasn't done it yet, even though he's on his deathbed. He gives a little bit of a, a task here. He's like, oh, go and go and get me some food and then I'll bless you. It's like, man, what is going on here? We're going to pick up this story uh, next. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Let's jump back into our Bible study here. Uh, we've been talking about Isaac and now, now we're going to see the dysfunctionality uh, really come out uh, within the family. So uh, we're in uh, Genesis 27 and verse Five. You want to read that for us? Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. Yeah, now verse six. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from their two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Mm. So, Rebecca, she's like, oh, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll take this responsibility onto myself for you, Jacob. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make this food for you. And then, but then we see the purpose of it. Uh, it continues on. Um, and Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, look, Esau, my brother is a hairy man and I am smooth as skin. And it goes on. They go back and forward. And ultimately what they're doing is creating this ruse, um, so that Jacob could inherit the birthright over his brother Esau. Um, and then like, ultimately they, they win. Like in in Esau, he relinquishes his birth right through the, the lentil stew. And it's just like, 
huge failure, huge family dysfunction. Parents plague favorites. Um, Always a bad sib- idea. Like in sibling rivalries, which at sometimes you know a, a rivalry is a healthy healthy thing. You know, it leads to competition and and greater achievement and all these things. But in this case, it was very unfortunate because it created a rift between Jacob. And Esau that lasted nearly their entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, it was amended in the end, but it was bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it further, like, so we, we then highlight the life of Jacob, who became the next patriarch in the place of Esau, um, and in, in the place of fa- um, Isaac, his father. And then we have the situation um, of essentially, like, just terribleness. Uh, if we go to Genesis chapter 29 and verse 15, to preface this, Jacob's run away from home. He's met this lady named um, Rachel. He's found, he's fell head over heels in love with her, gone to her father named Laban and said, you know, Laban or Laban, can I, can I take your daughter in marriage? And Laban is like, um, yes, but if you work for me seven years and then you can marry it. So he goes, he works the seven years and then this is what happens on the wedding night. If you want to pick it up for us in Genesis 29 and verse 15. Then Jacob said, to, uh, Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your mm. younger daughter. So here we see like Jacob makes this commitment. He's like, yep, like I'm going to save. I'm going to do it. And he tells Laban like, Laban's like, oh, you know, I've got my two daughters here. They're very beautiful. They're very nice. And Jacob's like, I want to marry Rachel. Mm. This is who I want. Um, But then we skip down to verse um, 23. This is after the seven years on the wedding night. Um, Read that for us. Now, it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, this is Laban, and brought Mm. her to Jacob, and he went into her. So... Uh, uh, like I can imagine in this situation, I guess I guess the lighting wasn't very good, or something was going on. When we there. get to heaven. That's one of the questions. That's definitely one of the questions. But essentially, a ruse. You know, maybe she was covered by a veil. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But essentially, a ruse was created, and it was you know it succeeded to essentially give. Um, Leah away instead of Rachel. Um, and because they consummated the marriage, you know, Jacob went into her, um, and knew her as the Bible says, uh, conservatively. Um, ultimately he is bound to her. Mm-hmm. Now this then leads to Jacob working for another seven years for Rachel. Mm-hmm. And then, so then he has two wives, which is, you know, one wife is enough. Like then he, he's married twice over. Um, then he has disputes with, uh, Laban and then, you know, disputes with his brother and just all these things. And then he has a family with those two women. He has a bunch of children to Rachel and a bunch of children to Leah. And this creates an incredibly toxic environment where you've got favoritism. You've mm. got, um, yeah, well, because it's like, you know, brothers of different mothers and all different things treating each other incorrectly. You know, you've got children who are far older than the younger ones. And so there's a hierarchy going on. Um, and then this ultimately, like, I feel like the pinnacle of this, we're going to get into the story of Joseph tomorrow, but we see this dysfunction go all the way, um, to like this, this pinnacle in Genesis 34, it's subtitled in my Bible, the Dinah incident. I have uh, the same subtitle. <laughs> oh, and it's just so 
hectic. Let's. Can you read for us like the first two verses? Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. Okay, so essentially what happens here is that like this is a this is a consensual relationship we go on to learn um, between um, Dinah and Hamer, but they're not married. Like that that was the big issue. Now, just to skip a little bit so we don't have to read through all the verses, um, the brothers find out about this. You know, the sons of Jacob they find out about this. The Hebrews they're like, hey, um, can we we'll work something out? And essentially, it's like because. Hamor, uh, he's like, uh, Hamor is like, yep, like, just this is awesome. Like, I want to be with this woman. I love her. She's great. And, you know, I, I, I think she's amazing. I want to be with her. This is my, this is my new wife. Uh, I'll do, you know, whatever condition you guys give. Um, and so they give conditions for the marriage in verse 15. So if you want to read that for us. But on this condition, we will consent to you if you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised. Okay. So they create this condition. The These guys follow up. Um, these guys from Shechem, they follow up with these these conditions. <laughs> and ultimately, this leads to a situation uh, that is so... Hectic. Like, yeah. it's read for us verse 25. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. So essentially, um, they use this as an opportunity to slay their enemies. Mm. If this isn't the most gnarly family dysfunction, like, I don't know what is. And I think, like, we just want to give this pretext that we're going to get into Joseph tomorrow. But just to see the kind of stuff that was happening in this family that started right back with Abraham, well, started right back with Cain and Abel, that started with right back with Abraham and just built up and built up and built up over time. And we get to this situation, it's like, man, what can change this? What can overcome this? How can they come back to God? We're going to see that tomorrow. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Um, oh, I just wanted to share really quickly. We got a text message, um, and the text message says this: um, Have you noticed that the Bible doesn't give us any excuses because we have a dysfunctional home? God will accept all who come to Him in spite of this. What's even more amazing is that though the Holy Spirit, uh, through the Holy Spirit, He will do all He can to reach us. All we have to do is accept His offer. Man, praise the Lord! Powerful text. He also said, "Hi, Sharissa. As always, doing a great job." So is Lawson. So we have some <laughs> some Sharissa Sharish, Sharissa, Sharissa Tarosi and love on the text line this morning. Um, but right now we are going to get into question of the day. All right, this one is coming to us from Bruce. Genesis says, "Man has become like us, knowing good and evil." What does that mean? Okay, so the Bible um, in Genesis chapter three and verse twenty-two it says, "Then the Lord God said, Behold, the uh, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever." Now, people really want to know what this verse means because it's, it, this is God talking here. And he says, oh, he's become like us. And that us is capitalized, you know, kind of um, alluding to the tri triune nature of, of God, the Trinity. is oh, he's become like us, knowing good and evil. Uh, you know, and people sit there and they say, wait, God 
knowing good and evil because they know that man know good and evil now they've eaten of the tree of of the the knowledge of good and evil they've practiced evil now they know good and evil but they're like wait god knows good and evil and i think they they use this people use this verse and they, and they want questions they have questions for this verse because it's like what is the character of god then did, did god create evil uh, you know what's going on here, and I think let's let's firstly just start by establishing what God's character is from the Bible. It says in you know First John four eight, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Mm-hmm. Like God is love. Um, I've heard it said many times. People say you know God is not loving. Um, he doesn't. He's not something that has the ability to love. No, he literally is love. Like mm-hmm. that is his character through and through. Uh, furthermore, you know the Bible says Jesus Christ, you know who is a member of the Godhead, who is God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews thirteen eight. You know God is this unchanging character of love. Yes, God is also a dyna- a dynamic being who, you know, has loves and hates and interacts with us. But in the in the sense of his character, mm-hmm. he's unchanging always bent to love, you know, to be unselfish. And it's like, but okay, but God said that now man has become like him knowing good and evil was, is is God evil? Did God create evil? Now that is a huge question, I think, among atheists, particularly because, oh, the existence of evil means that God must have been evil and that's why it exists. And then even amongst Christian people, they say, oh, yes, they, they answer this question by agreeing. And they say, yes, uh, you know, God created evil, and but he did it to show that he is so good, um, which from my perspective, and I think Lyle would agree with me too, makes absolutely no sense. Why would God create evil to show how good he is? That That's like abusive. That's like, that's like definition of gaslighting, essentially. So what's going on here? Well, I, I see it like this. You know, God, like... God created everything good. God created this universe perfectly and good and amazing. Um, and when good things are created, like the opposite of good is immediately conceptualized. It's mm. not created, but it's conceptualized. And I put it like this, right? You go to a diving board. We're currently seeing diving in the Olympics. You go to a diving board, right? Yeah. Um, and say there is an owner of the pool the, the, where the dining, diving board is. And he puts up a sign. And, you know, in diving boards, you know, this diving board doesn't have many rules. The only rule is that you can't jump in the pool when someone else is in the pool, lest you land on them. Now, you know, in 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 the owner of the pool creating that rule, you know, did he then create the situation and, and then furthermore lead those in the pool to the situation where they would jump on each other? Not. But it was in that situation by creating that rule was inherently conceptualized and now mm-hmm. god creating a perfect world a perfect universe where everything is perfectly in harmony and balance the opposite of that is inherently conceptualized and god knows Good this point. because he's all-knowing and so because this concept is already there and now humans before they had the narrow view of not understanding that and now they do it's like oh now they know that's right if anything it's they they're in deep god is in deep pain he's like now they know It's a great illustration and a great way of putting it. Yeah. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.